It's a strange word, apologetics. But did you know that apologetics is something that Jesus Christ himself used and that we should follow his example? Apologetics doesn't mean saying you're sorry. It comes from the Greek word apologia, which means to give a reasoned defense for why one believes a particular view. Today, you'll hear about the many ways that Christ was an apologist. Welcome to Evidence and Answers with Pat Zuckerman. Dr. Zuckerman is an author, speaker, and scholar who examines today's worldviews in light of biblical Christianity. Today, Pat begins a series on the apologetics of Jesus as he spoke before an audience in Dallas, Texas. And by the way, Pat's topic today is based on his book, The Apologetics of Jesus. It's a fascinating analysis of how Jesus defended his claims, answered his critics, answered questions, and his skills in reasoning and making his hearers think. The book is available at our website, evidenceandanswers.org, and you'll want to get a copy. And you'll also find at evidenceandanswers.org resources on everything from atheism to Zen Buddhism. Download past shows, articles, and more. Our resources could be a real help, not only to you, but to that friend or family member who may be going through a, a period of doubt or unanswered questions. And if you have a college student in your life, they could especially benefit from the intelligent, insightful information available at evidenceandanswers.org. So go there today. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Now here's Pat Zuckerman with part one of The Apologetics of Jesus. A lot of people ask me, how'd you end up in apologetics? It happened the day after I accepted Christ. You know, I went to a Episcopal high school and our priests were very, very liberal. I'm not sure they believed in God. And so I grew up for 11 years going to school every day, uh, going to chapel service and pretty much hearing nothing. And as a senior, I was invited to a small little Baptist church where I first heard the message of the gospel, that the God of the universe loved me, wanted to be a part of my life, had a divine grand mission for my life. So uh, I prayed to receive Christ and the next day I went to the school priest. And I said, hey, Father so-and-so, did you know I heard this? And this is the message of the gospel. And he smiled and he said, well, that's great. But don't take it so serious. The Bible is like any other book. It's a human book filled with all kinds of errors. You know, so don't take it that serious. If it makes you happy, though, that's great. You know, but whatever religion you want to believe is fine. And I was shocked. I, I thought to myself, well, here's a guy that has studied this all his life. And it sounds like he doesn't believe it. And so I took Bible class from him just because I thought, you know, Bible is Bible. Everybody must teach the same thing. And I learned all the reasons why the Bible is not true. Uh, there's Greek in the book of Daniel. If Daniel supposed to be written in the uh, Babylonian era, you know, why is there Greek in the book of Daniel? The Greek Empire don't come till 300 years later. Uh, Moses could not have crossed the Red Sea, uh, probably crossed the Sea of Reeds. which was only two feet deep at low tide. The Gospels are written about a hundred years after the life of Christ, so all these myths and legends have come in. Uh, on and on, and I learned all the reasons why you couldn't believe in the Bible. And I was about to walk away from Christianity. I went to my church and I was asking all these Christians all these questions and none of them had any answers. And uh, I was about to walk away from it all when a guy handed me a book on apologetics. You know, I didn't know what it was. And for most people, it's a boring book. It's just like an encyclopedia, just listing all kinds of facts. But I just found it fascinating. And I read that whole book. First book I ever read. You know, 18 years, I never read a book through before. And the first book I ever read. And I read the whole thing through, just fascinated by that whole thing. Went to the school priest. I said, did you know the facts are this? Did you know the archaeology has discovered this? Did you know? And suddenly the tables were turned. And suddenly he couldn't answer me. And I realized there's compelling evidence for the existence of God, the Bible, and for Jesus Christ. 
So I've been in, in apologetics uh, from the moment I received Jesus Christ. Upon graduating from college, uh, I felt the call to serve the Lord in full-time ministry. And of course, graduating from high school, a Christian college came to town to recruit students. I had just become a Christian, so I said, Christian college? I didn't know there was such a thing. This must be the only one in the whole wide world. My grades were so bad, uh, they couldn't accept me. But once they heard my testimony and everything, he said, okay, we'll let you in on probation. And so I went there, and I got more of the same. Liberal, liberal teaching. Uh, no such thing as prophecies in the Bible. and All these kind. God can't know the future. God makes mistakes. And they're more sophisticated now. And so I had to read even more to answer these kinds of questions. And a guy I read with a lot was Dr. Norman Geisler. So when I graduated from college, people said, why don't you go to the seminary? And I said, well, what seminary should I go to? And they said, well, Norman Geisler teaches at, at Dallas Seminary. So I said, Norman Geisler? Wow, terrific, great. So I signed up to Dallas and you know I had a great job in Hawaii as a golf instructor and a DJ, but I left it all behind and I came here to Dallas in 89 and that's the year Norm Geisler left. And so anyway, I chased him around the country, finally got him in North Carolina where he was president of Southern Evangelical Seminary and first day of class at the break, I walked up to him and I said, Dr. Geisler, I said, you owe me. You owe me big time. <laughs> so he looked at me and said, well, why do I owe you anything? I said, I left Hawaii. I left my surfboard. I left, you know, my dog. I left my girlfriend. I left everything behind to come study under you at Dallas Seminary in 89. And he looked at me and said, I left in 89. And I said, I know. That's why you owe me. <laughs> and he just thought about it for a little while. He said, well, I heard you were coming. So I got out of town. Well, studying under Dr. Geisler, I remember taking our apologetics class, and one of the classes he mentioned, he said, do you know who the greatest apologist is in the history of the church? And we were thinking Aquinas, or Augustine, or Justin Martyr, or one of those. He said, did you know that Jesus is the greatest apologist? And he said, did you know in the 2,000 years of church history, no one's ever written on this? Someone's got to write on this. And I said, well, I'd like to take on the challenge there. And he said, sure. And uh, this is how uh, the doctoral project eventually became the book that we co-wrote together. And so the chapters that you find intriguing and exciting uh, are the ones I wrote. And the other ones he wrote. He wrote those. No, just kidding. All right, so it was a pleasure to study under one of the great, great minds of our time. You know, Christ made some very astounding claims about himself. He claimed to be the divine Son of God, the unique one and only divine Son of God. He claimed to be the Messiah, the one who fulfilled the Old Testament prophecies. He claimed to have the authority to judge uh, mankind on that day of judgment. He claimed the authority to grant life. He claimed to be the only way to eternal life. And Jesus knew that his message would be met with skepticism, doubt, even hostility. Jesus knew he had to present a compelling case for his claim and he did so in a very masterful and powerful way which makes him the greatest apologist of all time. Now why did Jesus need to utilize apologetics, the defense of the Christian faith? Uh, we present several reasons in the book. Uh, I'll just go over five with you tonight. But number one, God created us as reasoning, rational beings. One of the things Dr. Geisler always emphasized with us is that the heart does not commit to what the mind is not convinced of. Your heart will not commit. Your will will not surrender 
to what your mind is not convinced of that is true. And Jesus did not ask us to take a blind leap of faith. We make decisions every day as reasonable, rational beings, looking at evidence, processing them through our reasoning faculties and making, coming to our conclusions. Right? If you're going to take an elevator out there and you got two choices, one elevator you see lights on, music is playing, and you see people going in and out. The other elevator is dark, you don't hear any music, and you didn't see people going in and out. Well, which elevator are you going to take to get to the third floor? Quite obvious, right? How'd you make that decision? Well, you looked at the evidence, you processed it through your reasoning, rational faculty, and then you made your decision. Okay? That's how we are designed. God understood that. He created us in that fashion. God, the prophets, the apostles, and Jesus never asked us okay, to take a blind leap in the dark. You know, my debate with the Rational Response Squad, they were the number one atheist website. They were interviewed by Fox and ABC News. In a debate that we had, they opened the debate by saying, you know, Pat and Kevin, who was my co-host, is going to answer all of our objections by saying faith, faith, you know, faith. No matter what evidence we bring up against the existence of God and Christianity, they're just going to reply faith. It's all about faith, 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 faith. And he said, and that's not any good reason to believe anything. Muslims can say that, Buddhists can say that, you know, we atheists can say that. And that's how they're going to respond to you tonight. And we just want you to know, you're going to have to give some reason for why you believe. And when it was our turn to come on, I said, well, thank you very much for clarifying that for us. Because Christianity is not built on blind faith. Biblical faith is not a blind leap in the dark. There's compelling reasons and evidence for us to trust in Jesus Christ. God never asks us to take a blind leap in the dark when it comes to things of our eternal destiny. And he provides good, compelling reason and evidence. So thank you for clarifying that for us. And they, that kind of really took them off guard. They hadn't heard uh, any Christian being able to present compelling reasons and evidence for why they believe. But secondly, presenting evidence was God's pattern in the Bible. God, Jesus, and the apostles never asked us for a blind leap in the dark. Biblical faith is not a leap in the dark, but as Ravi Zacharias says, it is taking a step in the direction of which the evidence leads. That's biblical faith. And the prophets and the apostles were confirmed by miraculous acts of God, and when Christ defended his claims, he often pointed to the evidence. Next, Jesus needed to confirm and defend his claim, and this required well-reasoned arguments and compelling evidence. He backed up his claims with reason and evidence, for he understood human nature. Right? John chapter 2, after he overturns the temple, the Pharisees and priests come to him and says, uh, what sign will you show us that you have the authority to do these kinds of things? And Jesus says, destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. And he was pointing to the evidence of his future resurrection. In Acts chapter 1, verse 3, Luke, in his record, writes this, Jesus, he presented himself alive to them after his suffering by many infallible proofs, appearing to them during 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So Christ presented compelling reason and evidence even to his apostles that he was indeed the divine, unique, one and only Son of God. Jesus also needed to use apologetics to refute false teachings. 
and his disciples followed his examples. First Peter chapter 3 verse 15, Peter writes, But in your hearts set apart Christ as Lord, always be prepared to give a defense, an apologia, a reason for the hope that you have within you, but to do this with gentleness and respect. Paul wrote in, in Philippians chapter 1 verse 16, that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. In Acts chapter 17, in verses 1 through 3, it says that as was his habit, he went into to the synagogue on the first day of the week and reasoned with the Jews, presenting to them compelling evidence that Christ was indeed their long-awaited Messiah. And if you look in verses 22 through 28, here now the gospel is going outside the theistic worldview of the Jews and now is engaging the pagan ideas of the Greeks with people of different worldviews. And it says in verse 22 that Paul came upon the Stoic philosophers, they're pantheists. And then he came across some Epicurean philosophers, they're practical atheists. And they thought the goal of man was pleasure. So there you got a clash of all three worldviews there with philosophers who are not familiar with the Old Testament. And what does Paul do in his brilliant defense of the gospel there? Well, he presents a case for the theistic worldview. Then he quotes the Greek philosophers before he goes into the gospel. So the apostles of Christ followed their master's example in apologetics. So apologetics was a very essential part of the ministry of Christ. And if it was essential in the ministry of our Lord Jesus Christ, then how much more for ministries today? Jesus confirmed his claim to be the divine Son of God by presenting persuasive arguments and compelling evidence. And, uh, we lay out in the books some of the apologetics of Jesus, which included the testimony of witnesses, miracles, prophecy, parables. Did you know the parables serve as a powerful apologetic for Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't realize that. Uh, he used reason and resurrection. Now we don't have time to go through all of these. We'll just cover about maybe two or three. First let's take a look at the testimony of witnesses. How Jesus used witnesses in his defense. There's no greater example than in John chapter 5. Jesus heals a blind man at the pool of Bethesda. And uh, he heals the man on the Sabbath when you're supposed to do no work. And to the paralyzed man, not the blind man, the paralyzed man, he says, uh, take your mat and go home. And so the man is walking around with his mat and they're saying, you're working on the Sabbath. Who gave you, who, who gave you this command? And he said, well, the man that made me whole, he did. And they said, well, where's this guy? And what gives him the authority to violate the Sabbath? So what should have been a great moment of rejoicing instead turns into a trial where Jesus needs to make a defense of himself. And in John chapter 5, Jesus presents one of the strongest apologetics defense of his claim to be the divine Son of God. New Testament scholar Leon Morris writes, Nowhere in the Gospels do we find our Lord making such a formal, systematic, orderly, regular statement of His own unity with the Father, His divine commission and authority, and the proofs of His Messiahship as we find in this discourse in chapter 5. So chapter 5 is set up like a court trial. And the Pharisees are questioning Jesus and now Jesus is on trial. And here we see the brilliance of our Lord 
presenting his case like an attorney, upholding his claims to be the divine son of God. They ask him in verses 16 through 18, you know, who gives you this kind of authority? Are you, are you Lord of the Sabbath? And he defends his authority. He claims to be the divine son of God and Lord over the Sabbath. And he says, my father is at work till this day and I am also at work, claiming a unique relationship with the father. And he states that he cannot act independent of his father, but he functions in perfect union with the father. And in fact, he says, the two are so united, failure to honor the son, men also failure to honor the father. And they said, all right, well, give us a reason why we should believe what you're stating. And Jesus brings forward his case. He brings forward his witnesses. And he brings forward the five most powerful witnesses that he could have called upon to defend his claim to be the divine Son of God. Now, the requirements of the Jewish law, according to Deuteronomy chapter 19, you've got to have at least two witnesses that will testify upon your behalf. Well, Jesus presents more than that. And the witnesses he brought forward, he could have called on no more powerful a testimony than these five that he brought forward. The first one he brings, verses 32 through 35, is John the Baptist. He said, John the Baptist testified of me. John the Baptist was a recognized prophet, fulfilled the role of the prophet spoken of in Malachi and Isaiah chapter 40. John is the one who declared at the baptism of Jesus, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Next witness he calls forward, his works. He says, My works testify of me. Jesus was referring to his miracles. Hey, God confirms his message and his messenger with miracles. And the Jews should have made that connection. Hey, Nicodemus did. In chapter 3, when he comes to Jesus, he says, Rabbi, we know you must be a man sent from God, for no one could do the works, the miracles you do, had God not be with him. So he points to his miracles. He says, my miracles testify of me. Third, he points to God the Father at his baptism. A voice thunders from heaven saying, This is my Son with whom I am well pleased. And also God confirms his message and his messengers with miracles. God will not confirm a false prophet or a false message with miracles. Then he brings forth the Old Testament scriptures. And he says, It is the scriptures which testify of me. Over a hundred prophecies of the Old Testament point to Jesus Christ. And he fulfilled each one of them. And finally, he brings forth Moses, perhaps the greatest of the prophets of Israel. He says, you put your hope in Moses, but Moses and everything Moses wrote about was about me. He said, you put your hope in Moses, but Moses will be your judge. And he says, the things that Moses wrote are the things that testify about me. Had you really known the laws of Moses, you would believe in me. And so these are the five witnesses he brings forward to defend his claim to be the divine Son of God. No more powerful witnesses could he have called for than these five. A powerful case that he presents to be the divine Son of God. And of course in chapter 8 he does the same kind of thing. Okay? Bringing forth God the Father and Abraham to testify upon his behalf. So the testimony of witnesses is a powerful apologetic of Jesus. Next, we have Jesus' use of miracles. God uses miracles to confirm his message and his messenger throughout the Bible. The apostles and the prophets were confirmed by acts of God. 
Jesus' miracles demonstrate his authority over every realm of creation. He was not doing miracles to entertain people and gain attention or to make money. Jesus did miracles to demonstrate his authority that as the incarnate God, creator of all things, he has authority over every realm of creation. And the Jews should have picked up on that. And Nicodemus did. Nathaniel did. Right? When uh, Peter went to go get his brother, and Jesus looked at him, and Jesus knew exactly what Nathaniel was reading under the tree. Right? He said, you'll see angels ascending and descending. He knew what Nathaniel was reading, and Nathaniel was astonished and said, truly, you are the Messiah of Israel. Hey, the Jews should have made that connection. When you see acts of God, then there is a man of God and there is a message of God. Something's taking place here and they should have recognized it. And Jesus did miracles over every realm of creation, demonstrating his authority over each realm of creation. You look at the miracles throughout the Gospels, he demonstrated authority over nature, over disease, over sin over the law, over the spiritual realm, over angels and demons, and over death. Dr. Geisler makes an interesting observation here in Aristotle's list of categories. Christ demonstrates authority over all ten categories. So in, over every realm of creation, Christ demonstrates that he is indeed uh, has the authority as the divine Son of God, the creator of all things. And when Jesus needed evidence to support his claims, he often pointed to his miracles. In John chapter 10, verses 24 through 39. Verse 24, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Jesus answered them, I told you, and you do not believe. The works, the miracles that I do in my Father's name, they bear witness of me. So when Jesus needed evidence to support his claims, he pointed them right to his miracles. In Matthew chapter 11, when John's disciples come to Jesus and say, Are you the Christ, the Messiah, or are we supposed to be waiting for someone else? What does Jesus do? Jesus points to a prophecy in Isaiah and about that the Messiah would come and heal the sick and the lame would walk. And he says, tell John the things that you've seen. All right? So he points right, right to his miracles. Miracles set Jesus apart from all other religious leaders. You know, when I am traveling uh, throughout Asia, they recognize that the great religious leaders did no miracles. Okay? Buddha does no miracles. No, there are no miracle accounts of Buddha until centuries later. And they agree most of those are legendary. Uh, in Hinduism, the Hindu holy men do no miracles. And the stories of Krishna rescuing a village, holding a mountain up with his one finger, and others, they know that they are legendary. Muhammad does no miracles. In the Quran, the people ask Muhammad, show us a sign that we may know you are the prophet of Allah. For prophets are confirmed by miracles. And Muhammad refuses to do any. He says, look at the Quran, and that is enough. But even in the Quran, it affirms that Jesus did miraculous things. I remember speaking to a, a, a Muslim on the radio, and I said, read, read even the Quran. The Quran affirms Jesus did miracles, Jesus did not die but ascended to heaven, Jesus was born of a virgin, Jesus was sinless, on and on. And I said, 
So even in the Quran, Jesus does greater things than Muhammad. So who should you be reading about? Right? So miracles set Jesus apart from all other religious leaders out there. And the last one we're going to look at is Jesus' use of reason. Jesus was also the greatest philosopher who ever lived. Jesus commanded us to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. He was a tremendous thinker. And God is a rational God. He uses reason to persuade beings made in His image. Isaiah 1.18, God says, Come now, let us reason together. Paul writes, We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. Paul says here in this particular passage that many times before you share the gospel, you have got to go in and demolish false arguments that keep people from coming to Christ and taking seriously the message of the gospel you're presenting. And so Jesus demonstrated tremendous ability to reason and present compelling reasoned arguments, dispelling error and presenting a case and a defense of his life and ministry. Well, we are out of time today, but Pat has so much more to say on the apologetics of Jesus. So we'll pick it up there next time for part two on Evidence and Answers with Pat Zucran. By the way, you can get this entire series at evidenceandanswers.org, as well as Pat's book he's been talking about, The Apologetics of Jesus. And if you appreciate this show, a program that offers straightforward, intelligent evidence and answers, then please support us financially and prayerfully. Your support helps us stay on this station and keeps Pat speaking all over the world, from colleges and universities to countries where Christianity is forbidden and persecuted. Just go to evidenceandanswers.org and click on the donate button. Or just send us a note let us know you're listening. It would be a huge blessing for us to hear from you today. That's evidenceandanswers.org. Thank you so much for being here, and we'll see you next time on Evidence and Answers.